All right, everybody, we are right in the middle of this series that we are doing on, uh, we're working through the book of 1 Corinthians, which is part of the Bible. It's a letter that was written to the church in Corinth, which is in southern Greece. Uh, and it was to this brand new church that is, um, was having some challenges. Okay, so if you haven't been here for the series so far, all the messages are on our website. You can get them and, uh, and have a listen to them and have a catch up. But Corinth is this thriving cosmopolitan city, lots of things happening, lots of people moving there, making money, things, you know, there's this, a very loose morality there, there's all sorts of weird spiritual, uh, spirituality things that are happening there. And Paul the Apostle arrived there about 50 AD and um, started telling people about Jesus and inviting them into this life of knowing God and following Jesus. And by the time he left, 18 months later, it talks about there was a large number that believed. So we don't know what there was, but there's a church. A brand new church has been started there, and then he, he heads off to be um, planting churches in, in other places. And, uh, but what he does is, as a good, a good pastoral chap, he writes letters to the church just to um, encourage them to see how they're going. Now, there is, he actually wrote four letters. We only have two of them, and that's in our Bible. Uh, and it's 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians is actually the second letter that he wrote to them. So just confused, just a little bit confusing. Um, but we have that. And there's obviously some other letters coming to him as well because as we see here, he's actually responding to some of the things that, uh, that they're saying. So like I say, we've been working through some different things. Up until now, uh, Paul has been, he's, he's actually been a bit grumpy. And he's heard some things that has been happening there. And he's saying, guys, you can't do this. You've got to stop doing this. Change this. Do this better. And then today his tone changes a little bit more into the, the uh, his, his, you can hear his heart of just a, you know, a pastor giving pastoral advice to some of these issues that they're, um, they're chewing through. So, um, But I'd like, to, I'd like to pray for us, that um, for each one of us that are here today, that that you would be able to take what God would have for you away today. So let's pray together. God, we do invite your presence here. God, open our heads and our hearts to what you would have for us this morning. God, there's, there's words that will be spoken from the front, but you know what each of us needs. You know what we need to take away that will motivate us to, uh, to change, God, to to live more in line with what you would have for us. God, for some of us, there, it's encouragement that's needed, and God, allow us to hear that from you. God, whatever it is that you have for each one of us, God, we pray, we, we say yes to that. We open our heads and hearts to you. Amen. So last week's message was all about, well, I was... It was all about sex. Well, that's just, that's, that was the deal. We talked about sex. Well, I kind of talked, and you guys just were very quiet. Well, I was talking about unusually quiet. You know, Paul was talking about this unacceptable sexual behavior in the church. It's like, it's, that's not okay. You've got to sort out that. You know, the guy that's doing that, you've got you've to sort him out and get him in line. There's, and you guys have got to be better at being the church that stops people doing things that are harmful for themselves and for others. You've got to be better at being the church. And, uh, and all of it, the heart of it, it's all about wanting people into their best life. Wanting people into their best life. 
and he talked about the, the, the best outworking of our sexual drive. That was last week. And, uh, but today, if you thought, like, well, that was uncomfortable, at least it won't be the same again next week. Well, it's more of the same this week. It's like sex in the city, part two, this week. It's, um, I'm just re- going through the Bible. It's just what's there. Um, but like I say, his tone, Paul's tone has changed this week to, to being more like, you know, giving advice. God, let me just, just tell you um, this little thing that happened. My very dear friend Phil is here this morning. We've been friends for a very long time. When we were about 20, which is quite a while ago now, we both went on a trip to, uh, to the States and uh, we were, it was a working exchange thing. We worked in, in LA, and, but we did a lot of traveling around. One of the things that we thought, we'd go and check out what's, what's the action like in downtown LA. If you've ever been to LA, LA doesn't really have a downtown. We didn't really know that. So we were just wandering around, and we inadvertently walked into an area which is called Skid Row. And Skid Row is, is not the sort of place you want to even drive through, let alone accidentally walk through. And we were just sort of wandering through, and then we saw, I remember seeing one guy walk past us, just blood all down his face. I remember, and thinking like, that's not usual. Saw this big fight erupting over the street, and we're just thinking, actually, well, this is, this, we've stumbled into like a, uh, a not-so-good part of town, and as we're sort of starting to turn around and exit and, and back out again, again, there were people that started like hassling us, you know, trying to sell us all sorts of things that... Um, um, you can't buy at the dairy, let's just put it that way. Um, and, um, and, you know, we got out, you know. Uh, but it was, it was like we went past a safe place. And it would have been nice if someone had said, don't go past, you know, four blocks down that way, because on the other side of that, things start to get really, really tricky, really uh, difficult. And it feels a lot like this is what Paul is doing today. He is saying... Here's some helpful boundaries for you. If you go outside of these things, it's just not safe. You just can, there's so much risk of getting yourself in trouble. Just, just don't do that. So that's what, uh, that's what this is. Paul's trying to tell us where the dodgy parts of town are, and he's warning us to stay clear. So he's laying down some principles, wise Christian advice for them. And, uh, and, it's important to know that this is based on his, you know, his theological understanding, his theological reflection, and, and, but also pastoral experience. And can I just say, too, it may get a little bit R16 this morning, so if you've got kids here with you that haven't gone to the program, just, just letting you know. It's like you must go, what on earth is coming up now? What is he going to talk about? All right, just teaching the wisdom from the scriptures. Okay, you ready? Good. Good. So this first section, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, is Paul responding to the church's letter when the church was giving their ideas about sex and holiness and faith. Okay, so let's start off at verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relationships or sexual relations with a woman. So that's what they wrote to him. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. 
The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourself to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Okay, this is, you know, I just love our scriptures. That, you know, there's everything that's important in life. There's input on it, there's helpful things. So, so let's, get, let's get into it. So like I said before, Paul's responding to what the church had written to him. And in their letter, they've said, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So what, okay, what's going on here? So what, what is likely to be happening here is that this church, this young church, you know, there's no one in this church that's been a Christian for more than probably three or four years at this stage. And they recognize the challenge of the sexual drive and how so easily it can get out of hand and, and, and can send people down paths that are unhelpful. And they get themselves in all kinds of trouble. So they go like, how about we do this? No sex. No sex at all. That'll fix it. Just no sex. So it doesn't matter if you're married, whether you're single. No sex. And then we can focus all our energy on God and we'll be holy and we'll be wonderful. And God will just think we're the bee's knees. And, um, And Paul's getting this and he's just going like, you guys are not quite smart enough to, uh, to work all this thing out. Let me help you out here. Let me help you out here. Because he's, he's hearing these. We saw last week, like, things just weren't working. It just wasn't working. Whatever they were doing wasn't working. There was this guy that, we read last week, there was a guy in the church that was sleeping, having sex with his, with his stepmother. Paul must have heard of other problems. And you've got to remember, too, that Corinth is this cosmopolitan city, lots of things. There would have probably been lots of red light areas, lots of things happening. We read that when you look at the history of the place. And Paul's saying, like, if you're married, don't stop having sex. And, you know, there may be, there may be some young people here, so maybe newly married or not yet married people, and they're going, like, like why would you ever, 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 ever be any, like, like... It's just the most like, impossible thing to think of in the whole world. So um, why would you ever stop? You know? like, why? It's like, well, there are actually, you know, there are a number of things that can kind of kick in to married life. Headaches. <laughs> or, or, or just, health, just health issues, you know? Health issues, you know? Getting grumpy with each other. Yeah, the last thing that people often want is intimacy when, there's, you know, when they're, they're grumpy with each other. It's things that can affect your libido, like stress or you know, different seasons in life. Pregnancy is a weird one. I'm not even going to go into that. But um, both during and after pregnancy, it's, you know, there's challenges there. Different daily rhythms like uh, night shifts, things that you know, there's, there's can be challenges. Just tiredness. You know, kids kids throwing up at three o'clock the morning before and you know it's just or just having you know young ones um they just may just be tiredness um laziness around setting the mood and i'm looking 
but the punchline is they're saying is like if you're married, don't stop having sex. When you're first, like I say, when you're first together, you probably thought this would never be an issue, but now it may be. It may be. It may be that. Uh, it may be that. It has become an issue. And Paul is saying, make sure that this stays alive. And, and listen to this, anything that is important and is not how it needs to be, it needs, it's worth the effort to put in to get it right. And that's what I'm saying. That, that's what I'm sort of taking and throwing out there this morning to, to all of you married people Take Paul's words as godly counsel. Husbands, make the effort. Wives, make the effort. This, we talked about this last week. This sex thing, it's just this connection, this relational connection that's just at this deepest level of human connection. And uh, it's unique. It's this mysterious thing where it's like two becoming one, but hang on, they're still two, but are they one or what is this? It's this mysterious spiritual bond, this... Um, it's powerful between two people, and and you know just as illicit sex is dangerous to your to the health of your of your inner being, so too is uh, is not having sex with our life partner. It's just unhelpful. It's dangerous. How are we doing? Good. So don't withhold yourself from your spouse. That's what he's saying here sounds like they were thinking about let's just make it this complete ban because uh, you know people seem to be you know going down wrong paths but don't withhold yourself you, know, you might think yeah but I've, I need to teach them a lesson I'm going to, not going to let you touch me until you apologise or worse still, I'm not going to let you touch me until you agree with me. You can't do that. It's manipulative. It's selfish. And I'll tell you this, it's risky. Because Paul is saying that there is a whole lot of danger out there that can tempt people and draw them into places of outworking their sexual drive that is going to be so, so unhelpful. So unhelpful. The whole world of temptation out there, and he's also saying we've got a spiritual enemy that is going to try and wreak carnage in relationships. You know, say so we've got an enemy, a spiritual enemy that is that is working to destabilize marriage relationships and and draw people into outworking their sexual drives in ways that is just can will, will wreck relationships. Now, I know it's hard to be intimate when you're angry. So the key is here is working out how to get work through your anger if that kicks in. I think Jacinda said this a couple of weeks ago. There's only one reason that any of us ever get angry. There's only one reason. It's because you don't get what you want. Maybe good reasons. You may not want your kid to be bullied. So you get angry. That's fair enough. You, know, you may not want injustice in the world and different things. You get angry. That's fair enough. But it's still, you're still not getting what you want. So when you get angry, you've got to stop and think, 
What is it that I'm not getting that I want? And then you've got to work out, where's that coming from? Is it just coming out of my own selfishness? And if so, then maybe I need to stop and just work a little bit on myself first. But we've got to work out how to get through our anger so that we can then reconcile, we can kiss and make up. There's some profound wisdom. And again, this, for, for young married people, they might just think this is, this is crazy. Like, you know, we can't keep our hands off each other. How could this ever happen that we, you know, that we don't have, you know, we have prolonged periods of, of no intimacy. I think there's some profound wisdom in a New Zealand song called Business Time. <laughs> Let me read you from Business Time. Oh, yeah. Girl, tonight we're going to make love. You know how I know? Because it's Wednesday. (laughs) And Wednesday night is the night we usually make love. Monday night is my night to cook. And Tuesday night we go and visit your mother. But Wednesday we make sweet little love. When everything is just right, there's nothing good on TV. You haven't had your after-work social sport team practice. So you are not too tired. Oh boy, it's all love. You lean in and whisper something sexy like, I might go to bed. I've got work in the morning. I know what you're trying to say, baby. You're trying to say, oh yeah, it's business time. (laughs) At least they're connecting on a Wednesday. I'm like... And I'm doing a message like this, I'm sure that my lovely wife Jacinda is sitting there thinking like, is he going to tell any personal anecdotes about this? Or, um, Well, there was this night. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Can I just say that, you know, we've been married, uh, we just had our anniversary, how many was that? 27 years. And uh, can I just say this? Um, it's, been a, it's been a challenging journey for us right from the start of our marriage uh, around this area and, and, and continues to be. Um, some seasons we have big conversations and we work, you know, we work on this part of our relationship. Other times things just tend to drift a little. Um, but I'll tell you, we hear lots of stories um, because of the role that we have and, uh, the, you know, with, and with friends that we have. A lot of stories about marriage that have real struggles in this area. So if... Um, if you're thinking that this is something that there are struggles that you have, it's, it's, it's not uh, uncommon. Um, I usually hear about the stories through Jacinda because men don't talk about that stuff. <laughs> it's like, um, but let, let me, rather than you know, using any local examples, let me read from an article that was printed in Christianity Today. It's a, a big American magazine just last month. And it was written by... Kay Warren, she's the wife of uh, Rick Warren, who's one of you know, the 10 most influential pastors in America. She's got this huge church. Um, and the title of the article is, We Were in Marital Hell. Okay, let me, let me read this. He asked me out to Farrell's ice cream parlor in the fall of 1973, and I grudgingly went. A week later, eight days to be precise, he accompanied me to a revival. When we got back to campus... 
We prayed together to close out the evening. Sitting in the dark, I heard him say, Will you marry me? I recall instantly praying and asking the Lord what I should do. I heard God respond, Say yes, I'll bring the feelings. And so, with my 19-year-old understanding of life, romance, God, his will, faith, and my desire to be obedient to him, I said yes. Kay Lewis and Rick Warren got engaged. As I walked down the aisle and stared into the shining eyes of the earnest, kind young man who had asked me to marry him, I knew I was loved. The way he looked at me on our wedding day became an anchor I would hold on to during the darker times when I wasn't sure we were going to survive the mess our marriage had become. Our brand new marriage took an instant nosedive. We didn't even make it to the end of our two-week honeymoon to British Columbia before we knew our relationship was in serious trouble. We had been warned about five areas of potential conflict all couples have to deal with, and we immediately jumped into all five of them. Sex, communication, money, children, and in-laws. And that is, those are five and other biggies. Sex, communication, money, children, and in-laws. We were so young, barely 21 and inexperienced, and when sex didn't work and we argued about sex and then argued about our arguments and began to lay our resentment on top of resentment, it was a perfect setup for misery and disenchantment. What made it worse was that everyone considered us the perfect couple. When we returned from the honeymoon, already miserable and shocked at the depth of our unhappiness, we felt like we had nowhere to go with our wretched pain and marital failures. I had told Rick about being molested as a little girl. He was the first person I ever told. But because I was so unemotional about it, he figured it wasn't that significant an incident to me and basically forgot about it. I kept my occasional ventures into pornography a complete secret. Between the effects of the unaddressed molestation, the resulting brokenness in my sexuality, and the off-and-on pornography fascination, it shouldn't have been a surprise that sex didn't work pretty honest, pretty raw, pretty real. Look, I'm going to read how this ends a little later. But married people, you will have your unique challenges in this area. And you're not the only ones. Like our personal, our pastoral experience tells us this. You're not the only ones. Don't think that you got unlucky. Just realize instead this is a challenging area of life. But as Paul says, it's just essential to invest in it. It's just essential for the sake of the key relationship in your life. It's essential. You know, Jacinda and I, we've been um, trained to do um, pre-marriage uh, programs and have been on, been on marriage enrichment courses and, and all the input that that gives talks about just how crucial this area of life is to a relationship. Um, sorry, how crucial this area of relationship is to the health and strength of a marriage. So married people, I'm going to give you something to do this week. I want you to have this conversation with your spouse. Take a deep breath and just ask, how are we doing with this? How are we doing with this? Because we want to do everything that we can to make sure that marriages not only survive but thrive. And this is so key to it. So key. I've just um, just been on an email catch-up with a pastor friend of mine in, in England and it's just saying, how's it going? And he's, he wrote back and he's, you know, like said a few things, but he just said, you know, several marriages were imploding all at once in our church, one in the centre and a few on the edge. 
that take a toll, as you know, on everyone's emotions and relationships. Haven't had divorces in the, for some time and then three come along all at once. It happens, you know. One thing that we're doing that's coming up in August is we're going to be running a, uh, a marriage course. It's, uh, we'll give you some details very soon, but we're going to be looking at this guy. We're going to give you a little preview now of the video. He does these videos. But the, this little course, is, it's wonderful. It's called Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage. And uh, it's, um, the guy who does this is, uh, is fantastic. They talk about things like the, the tale of two brains, um, talks about uh, one of the things he talks about is the number one key to incredible sex sounds good doesn't it um, how to stay married and not kill anyone that's one of the sessions <laughs> but let's just I'll just pop you up a little bit of a preview it's just the first I think maybe a minute and a half of the, of the first session and uh, like I say this is going to be so so worthwhile and so good to be bringing others along too as well so uh, let's just pop that up there now And welcome to Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage. I'm so glad you're here. This is the marriage seminar for people who hate marriage seminars. <laughs> Hoo-ah! All right? I get a kick out of watching the couples when they first come in on Friday nights. You know, the, uh, the girls, they're all lit up. You know, just... Ooh! I got him here! I got him here! I got him here! You know? <laughs> and the guy's going... Oh, man, I can't believe, you know, I got here. But it's cool, guys. You can relax. You're going to love it. This is not one of those let's beat up on the men for not being women seminars. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. What is it with that anyway? Man, you know, you ask a lot of women to describe their ideal man, and they'll describe another woman. What's up with that? <laughs> you know? So we're not going to do that. We are going to uh, uh, just go with this thing in a normal, healthy way. We're men. Men are men. We're not sick. We're not perverted. We're not twisted. You know, we're not broken. We're men. All right? And God, yeah. Hoo-ah. And, <laughs> and God made us the way we are for a reason. And I'm going to show you girls what that reason is. Okay, and I'm going to try and explain to you uh, the world of men a little bit through this thing. We'll also discuss the women's side of things as well. But I really want you to understand this men thing. Women are much more complicated than men. Men are very simple. Simple. Hopefully that's something that uh, you like the look of and uh, you get along to and, and enjoy. It's, it's fun, but it's so helpful as well. The guy's pretty smart. And, um, and it's just good just sometimes to stop and go, let's... Let's invest you know, in this, uh, the, the, one of the most important relationships, well, the most important relationship we'll have. Um, there's also, I'll just put a slide up here, there's some, uh, again, some of these weekends we can do. There's one that's coming up um, run by Family Life. It's called A Weekend to Remember. The next one's in September in Auckland. Um, you know, you've got you to pay to go. Um, they're in a you know, nice place. But, um, again, it's like money well spent. And if... You'd like to go, but money's tight. They do have some scholarships there. So, so there's a few things that are happening. Let me just read this just to close off this first piece of First Corinthians, then we'll carry on. 
This is um, Eugene Peterson who wrote the Message Bible. It's just like he's got a... Um, he talks about that passage like this. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. Okay, everyone doing all right? Okay, let's carry on with 1 Corinthians, verse 8. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? You know, we don't know why Paul is unmarried. He, he, you know, the person who, who wrote this, he may be divorced, he, he may be widowed, he may just have never married. But what he's saying here is that being celibate, not being sexually active, is perfectly okay. Provided you're in control of your sexual drive. He's saying it's perfectly okay. And he has mastered this. And he talks about it as a gift from God. And uh, he's, what he's, he's implying here is that, is that God enables people to live out the life that he calls them to, whether they're married or single. I'll tell you, our, our, our world tells a pretty different story to that. Our world will tell us that um, if, you're, if you're a virgin, there's something wrong with you. You haven't been able to convince anyone to have sex with you. That's what our world will say. You, there's something wrong with you. It's mocked. And let me say this too, that um, we have, especially over the last maybe 15 years, had a huge push by many in our culture to tell us that you have a certain type of sexuality and that this can be discovered. That you're, you know, you're straight, you're gay. But I'll tell you this, biblical witness and pastoral, pastoral insight will tell you that this is deeply misleading. It's deeply misleading. Because it, it's all tied to the type of sexual activity you engage in and the implication is that all humans need active sexual experience of whatever sort they prefer in order to be complete and to be fully alive. And that is, it's misleading. It's not right. And Paul says this, says, this is wrong. You become fully alive not by outworking your sexual preferences. You become fully alive by finding your life in God. 
you become fully alive by finding your life in God. And many of these behaviors that they say, yeah, just, just follow, follow whatever you feel like you want to do, many of those behaviors will take you away from being fully human. Taking away from, from being fully lived as you were created to be in God. They kill rather than bring life. So and I know that we're just bringing that up. I'm sort of scratching a pretty big itch here. And, um, and we're not going to go into that today. I'm, not, I'm more than happy to, but uh, we're not going to go into that today. But just wanted to say that life is found in God, not in our outworking of our, of our you know, chasing the things that we think we want to do with regards to our sexuality. So Paul, he's talking about celibacy. And he goes on to talk about, you know, divorce. And this is, a, this is an interesting passage here that many people read this and they're just locked down, locked down rules and regulations around this thing and saying, well, this is, you either, you know, it's just that this is the only way to go because it says so here. And it's, it's interesting. Did you notice that when we, we read that, he talks about, Here's, here's some instructions, and it's kind of in brackets, and it says, from the Lord, not from me. And then another one, it sort of says, this is from me, not from the Lord. Okay, and what, what we've got here, and this is really helpful for us to understand here, is that he's saying that, that the big picture punchline that God will say is that he says, don't divorce. But then he's also saying, but let's look at some specific set of circumstances here. And I'm going to just bring some wisdom into this particular situation. And that's the reality of what we have to do as a church around these areas here. We have to work out and bring wisdom into, into some of these situations that we find with our, you know, with our brothers and sisters in Christ that are unique. And so those people that say, you can never divorce, I said, tell that to someone who is being repeatedly beaten, punched in the face, hospitalised by her husband. It's like, don't you come to me and say that that person has to stay in that relationship. We've got a, you know, we've got a, and then, but then there's a lot of situations, are, they have their unique set of circumstances and we, and I know that it's primarily Jacinda and I and the pastoral leadership team that we get, you know, and, and others that, have, that, bring, that are involved in people's lives. We've got to bring as best we can, you know, wisdom into these circumstances and going, like, what's best here? Because this relationship is really kind of messy and messed up. But what's best? Is it best to stay? Is it best to not stay? And it's not easy. But we do our best to do what we believe is right and in alignment with our, the teachings of our scriptures and, and wisdom. But, you know, the reality is that divorce is far more common today than it used to be, you know, 50 years ago. Um, we've got many divorced people here at, at Coast, um, and they know more than we ever will, those that, that aren't, of the just the... Just the deep, deep hurt and heartbreak and um, confusion and, and you know, uncertainty of the future and um, you know, the, 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 the impact and hits it can take on your sense of self-worth. It's, 
it's um, you know the grief for the children. You know, it's just so so hard. But like, if any any of you here that are here today that have um, that divorce is part of your story, you just need to know that you are so so loved and so so welcome here and so so valued as a, as a person. Okay. You know, life is tough, man. You, no one ever goes into a marriage thinking it's not going to work. But two people, imperfect people, put together, I often think it's a miracle that any marriages survive. You know, it's just like, it's just, it's tough. So, and don't let anyone ever look down on you because they don't know your story. They don't know the challenges, the things that have been in the mix. So Corinth was this place, as we've talked about, a lot like today. Divorce and um, was was it was actually relatively common there. Um, there was, you know, as we read in, in the history books. And uh, but there was this huge pressure to to remarry quickly, especially for women. If it happened, it says like, "I'll just get married again." And, he's, and, and Paul's just going like, "Just just chill out, you know." Just he's saying this, and let me just summarize this in, in a few punchlines here, just for the sake of time. Um, it'll probably go up on here. He's saying this. He's saying celibacy is a great thing. It's a high calling. He's also saying be free from the pressure of remarrying. Don't let anyone push you into this. He's saying that divorce is never God's intention for his children. He's saying that if you think your sexual desires are going to be an unhelpful temptation with the person that you know you will marry then marry sooner. And then he also says, you know, this thing of how holiness can overcome unbelief. Stay in the marriage with your unbelieving spouse in the expectation of seeing them won over to God. Okay, last burst. Ready? Verse 25. We're going to jump to verse 25. Now, about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. See what he's saying there? He's saying, I'm just bringing judgment. I'm just going to bring some wisdom into the situation. Here's, here's what I think would be good in this situation. Not locking down, this is the absolute. I give judgment. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. That was interesting. A little bit of chuckling going on there. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. 
An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world. How can she please her husband? I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live right. You may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably towards the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong, and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes. But he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. So, so what's going on here? Again, it just sounds like a whole bunch of rules. It sounds like many people have, have interpreted this and said, like, Paul doesn't like marriage. He's not into marriage. He's, he's, a, he's anti-marriage, which is kind of crazy when he's just been talking about marriage just you know, earlier on in the, in the letter in that chapter. But what's going on here, there is a crisis happening in the Roman Empire right now. There is a food shortage. Grain was the primary food source. This Roman Empire was, there was this massive food shortage and people were like struggling to even get food on their table. So it was a time of real challenge just to, just on that simplest level of being able to put food on the table if you found it. It's a tough time. And in tough times, um, it, it consumes a lot, of your th- a lot of your energy and a lot of your, your emotional uh, energy there. There was even talk about the Roman Empire might collapse, so there was, and which, is, which is huge in terms of the context of uh, you know, what life was like in that time. So there are hard times, and in hard times, what Paul is just saying here, in hard times, it makes sense to be wise around your decisions. You've got to actually be, be you know, if, like, if there was war, if, when there's war, You've got, to be, you've got to show wisdom around your decisions. It may be best to put off your wedding in hard times. It may be best to put off your engagement. It may be best to keep things as they are without adding additional pressure and stress in tough times. These were tough times. It says it because of the present crisis. And the other thing, which is the heart of Paul, is what he's saying here, is he says this, I would like you to be free from concern. He's just trying to help them in stressful times. This is just wisdom. In times of stress... Keep life simple. And we can take that away. This is the punchline for takeaway. In times of stress, keep life simple. Don't start on the building project. Don't get engaged. Just wait until things are settled down. He's just trying to be, he's just trying to help people. Keep life simple in marriage, in singleness, in grief, in joy, in what you buy, he talks about. Because this gives you room to continue to live for God. That was also one of his big concerns, is that when life gets busy and stress loads up, our devotion, the room for us to stay close to God and devoted to God gets squeezed out. It just gets squeezed out. And he's, this is the main thing in life, he's saying. The reality is that whatever we add to our life, it dilutes everything else. Whether you, have, you, know, you go from being not married to married being not having kids to having kids, changing job, health, grief, financial stress, concern about purchases. And not, not, not bad things, it's just the reality of having more things in your life that you have to think about. It, like, 
everything gets less of the a smaller piece of the pie, including your devotion to God. Does that make sense? And he's saying that's as you can't let the fullness of life squeeze out your devotion to, to God. So single people, single people out here today, take advantage of this season to foster your relationship with God. Married people, care and nurture your spouse. Make sure you don't fill up life so much that your spouse gets a gets a uh, uh, a small piece of the pie, and that God gets squeezed out as well. Can I just say, if you wanted to dig into this more, you sort of think like, there's a lot of things here. It's like feels like Matt's just sort of skimmed over them. He's just has, he, there was this verse here that I really thought he was unpacked. He would unpack. It's always been confusing as to what this is. I'd encourage you, there's this wonderful book that N.T. Wright has written about 1 Corinthians. And um, if you would like to dig into any of these things, it's, it'll be a fantastic resource. It's called um, Paul for Everyone, 1 Corinthians. So, but let me finish with this. Um, like I say, it's so important to realize for most of this chapter, Paul is not laying down, these are concrete rules. What he's, he's, he's given us a picture of how in lots of situations around tricky issues with marriages is that we've got to use wisdom and judgment. And, um, and in a lot of some of these delicate issues, there is no absolute right or wrong. And that's the, it's the same way that we as a church, we've got to look at some of these things that, you know, provide, and provide spirit-led, biblically informed, wise counsel. We have to provide spirit-led, biblically informed wise counsel okay I'll just read the end of that remember we talked about Kay Warren and her situation that looked like it was just heading for a, a train wreck didn't it um, this is the last paragraph of this article and again you can see it online just Christianity Today Kay Warren Google it and you could read the whole article she says this we've beaten the odds that divorce would be the outcome of our ill-advised union We've weathered my breast cancer and melanoma. We've survived the mental illness and suicide of our son, Matthew. And now we know. We know we are the best thing that has ever happened to each other. I am in love with the man God brought into my life so many years ago. Each of us is not who the other was looking for, but each of us is who the other desperately needed to become the person we each are today. Yet, it has also been the very best thing that has, either, that has ever happened to either of us. We wouldn't be who we are today without each other. I'm a better Christian, a better woman, a better mother, a better friend, and a better minister because of Rick. He says he's a better Christian, a better man, a better father, a better friend, and a better minister because of me. The shrieks of iron sharpening iron have often sounded like gears grinding on bare metal, but the result has been profound personal growth in both of us isn't that just a picture of hope you know in terms of um, the future for all of us in terms of our key relationships